Welcome to Truly Fit, the online fitness marketplace connecting pros and clients through unique fitness business software. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's podcast, I speak with Daniel Ferdell. Daniel is a personal trainer in North Carolina. He's also a BJJ, a jiu-jitsu coach at Phoenix Jiu-Jitsu. Daniel and I speak about unconventional equipment. We start talking kettlebell at first, and then we expand and talk about bands and some other unconventional equipment that he uses and why that may be best also for some of his athletes and for some of his clients. And really, overall, this conversation is Daniel and I sort of waxing poetic about how you not only use the unconventional equipment, but how you use the body of your client to represent a overall solid workout and just tips and tricks for trainers. I think it was a, a very informative conversation. I enjoyed it. With no further ado, here's Daniel and I. Daniel, thanks for being here with the Truly Fit Podcast. To let the audience know a little bit about you and your fitness background, how you got into fitness, what exactly you do now. Gotcha. So basically, I'm a full-time personal trainer. I have been for probably going on eight years now, full-time. I originally started working out in high school, absolutely fell in love with it. Um, shortly after, I marched strength, so I'm also the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor here at Phoenix Jiu-Jitsu. And yeah, man, I just, I needed something. You know, I, whenever I was growing up, I had very bad asthma. So I would literally be eight years old, go up a flight of steps, and I couldn't breathe at the top. I would have to hit my inhaler. I had to have a rescue inhaler with me everywhere I go. So I grew out of that in my early teens. So, you know, early teens is kind of late to start wrestling or football or basketball. So I just started looking for other pursuits, signed up for weight training, fell in love with the movement of it. So I continued to do that. And, you know, I'm 33 now. I've been working out ever since. Awesome. And, you know, like a lot of personal trainers, we have so much in common, so much that we could potentially talk about here, but we're going to focus in and center in on one topic. And that's going to be sort of unconventional equipment. We're going to talk about equipment that you use and that I use, or that, that I've never heard of, or that you've never heard of and different things we do to get our clients to their goals. So first let's start out with one that's considered unconventional by the standards of like the average person who goes to the gym, but certainly not by personal trainers. And that's the kettlebell. Can you speak to maybe how you use the kettlebell and what you think about the kettlebell? Yeah. So the great thing about the kettlebell and one of the reasons why it's one of my main training tools is the unbalanced nature of it makes you fight throughout the entire technique. You know, um, a lot of trainers use the kettlebell much like they do dumbbells, but the kettlebell wasn't designed for that. Well, really it was designed as a tool in the market, but whenever people started moving them, the, weight is all in the ball at the bottom. So if you've never seen a kettlebell before, think of a bowling ball with a fat handle attached to it. Okay. It's got a flat bottom on it, big handle on the top. So every movement from the swing to the snatch to the windmill, everything is going to make the weight off balance. So not only do you have to fight to move the weight, you have to fight to maintain balance with the weight as well. And when you start talking about true functional fitness, that's a big thing is dealing with weight that isn't always perfectly balanced, you know, how often in your life do you do a barbell squat? Now, I mean, you may pick something up and throw it over your shoulder, but you're not going to have it perfectly balanced across your traps and then go into a squat position, come up with the kettlebell. You can mimic a lot of daily activities with the kettlebell itself because of the design and because of its off center, um, not really balance, but it's off center resistance. 
Yeah, no, that yeah. makes that makes perfect sense. And for those who, you know, most of the people listen to this podcast are personal trainers, but for those who don't understand what we mean by that, that balance being offset, imagine holding something in the air, right, with your arm up this way. And that weight, right, the dumbbell, there's weight on either side, and you're holding the weight like this, right? It's not difficult for your forearm and your elbow and things to hold that weight here. Now, if that weight was top heavy, right? So I'm holding the handle at the bottom and the kettlebell is actually facing in the air, right? That kettlebell wants to fall in either direction. So I have to use my core and different shoulder muscles and my forearm and my grip strength and all these different things to hold that kettlebell up. Now that's just one example of one exercise, but that's why the, the, the weight distribution is more challenging and in, recruits more muscles. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing about it too, is, uh, I love hopping on Instagram and seeing people talking about, you know, the kettlebell jugglers, you know, how they say it looks more like a circus act than an exercise. And the truth is actually somewhere in between. So the uh, kettlebell, and you'll hear a bunch of different dates thrown in there from different historians, but basically in the early 1600s, it was made as a counterweight. So the, had a flat bottom weight on the bottom and then the handle on top, they would tie a rope around the handle throw it over a pole and then hang meat up in markets. So that was literally the original design as a kettlebell. Once jesters and entertainers started coming into the market, like beggars looking for handouts, they would just grab these and start juggling them and playing with them to entertain people coming in and out of the markets to try to get, you know, a dollar thrown in a hat or whatever. So once they start doing that, it actually became a fitness routine. And then, you know, of course, the circus strongmen found them. And then they started making these ridiculously heavy kettlebells and they would show their strength through swings and snatches and, you know, double juggle tosses and stuff like that. Wow, yeah, that's so, funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And um, that was one of the big things back then was more entertainment than fitness. But obviously, because of these guys were swinging this weight around, it started building a lot of muscle from that yeah that's uh that's interesting where you know you don't typically think about fitness equipment having uh being dated back to you know 400 years ago and and used not for fitness but then again we're talking about unconventional equipment and that's why and and let, let's go right to another piece of unconventional equipment um you know on it is a big brand now in the in fitness right so they have a lot of unconventional equipment i know they're tied to a lot of MMA related things, which, which you are as well. So they have the, the mace, right. Which is also in that same category as the kettlebell, as far as the weight distribution being off, have you, have you used the mace before? And if so, what do you think about it? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the mace. Um, there again, you'll see a lot more like flow style movements with the mace. I'm not a big fan of those personally. I love the mace because a, it's great for shoulder mobility and shoulder stability and you will you'll be hard pressed to find a exercise or a piece of exercise equipment that works your grip harder because the mace handles are just, they're hollow, but they're really fat. You know, most of them have like a two inch diameter, <clears throat> a two inch diameter. Mm -hmm. So whenever you get that thing swinging, whether you're doing three sixties, 10 and twos, barbarian squats, whatever, you're fighting the entire time just to keep over the mace. And if you go heavy enough on it, your grip's going to burn out before your shoulders. I'm yeah, a fan of that. Yeah, I think a lot of this like unconventional yeah. equipment, people in the fitness industry, for whatever reason, tend to, uh, you know, center themselves onto one area, whatever that is. It's like, oh, you have to do yoga only, or you have to do Pilates only, or you have to do just, you know, weight training sets of six, you know, m moving in one direction. Um, 
it's whatever you enjoy is good, right? So as long as you're moving and getting stronger and doing whatever you have to, and if this brings more people into the industry because they think it's um, interesting and more people who want to work out and exercise, then that's great, right? The, the more unique that we can create things as fitness professionals and fitness industry creators, the, the, the better it is for everybody. And, you know, that's one thing too is, I know it's very easy to kind of find your niche and hang out within that. But the big thing is, is it doesn't matter what piece of equipment you have. The basics are always the basics. You know, whether you have a barbell or a dumbbell or a kettlebell, your line of pull is the same. Your elbow angle for presses is always going to be the same. It just depends on what tool you want to use. You know, the original bodybuilder, Eugene Sandow, he had none of this stuff. He lifted rocks. Rock is still a form of resistance, you know, and that's where we get the Atlas stone, um, competitions and all that stuff so the actual weight you have is only going to change in how you use it it doesn't matter whether you're doing you know like we talked about the steel mace or the kettlebell you know the steel mace you're going to have a much longer lever so whenever you're doing presses you can play with the length of it you know like the ball is the heavy part on the mace the tubing is usually hollow so the closer your hand is to the ball the better balance you're going to have once you stretch out you know two feet away from the weight your grip is going to be fired up because you're trying to balance that weight left to right as you press it. Kettlebell, you're not going to have the leverage part of it or not that long of a lever, but you can still, like you were talking about, do a bottoms up press to where the bell is over top and you're just squeezing, same thing, trying to make micro adjustments to where your wrist isn't going to collapse from the weight. Yeah, so that's a great point what you made. So the, the tool itself is used in a similar fashion as the other tools, right? So a kettlebell is not that much different in is how you look when you're using it as a band or as a dumbbell or as a barbell. But what's not talked about is really the body is the secondary tool, right? So you have the item, said item that we just named, and then you have the body. And the body is being challenged in different ways by using the, the tool differently. So whether you're pushing or pulling or lunging or squatting or hinging or planking, uh, you know, these, these small adjustments by shifting weight, by changing the, the tempo, by changing the weight distribution and the item and how far your arms are out or in is really, you know, it's your body that's, that's changing the creation of the movement. The good part about that is it's very easy to swap out equipment. You know, if you've been doing bent over barbell rows, and then you swap that out for dumbbells on the next week, the clients always feel like they're doing something new. You know, it's the exact same motion. You can put them on a cable pulley and have them doing seated rows. And then you can have them doing plank rows. They're still getting the same line of pull, but you're mixing it up enough to where it still feels fresh to them. You know, they don't feel like they're still going in doing a push pull and legs. You know what I mean? That's great advice. I, and I always shamelessly plug my book behind me, Fitness Business 101. And in that book, I have an acronym called DOTS, Duration, Object, Tempo, Stability. And by changing any of those, changing the duration, whether it's 45 seconds or 12 repetitions, object, whether it's kettlebell or it's mace or it's a dumbbell, by changing the tempo, which could be three seconds concentric, two seconds eccentric, vice versa, whatever, um, and changing the stability, which is maybe I'm on one leg, maybe I'm standing on a BOSU, maybe I'm on two legs, maybe I'm seated. By changing any of those, you'll have endless exercises to work with. I like that analogy. That's, that's very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm, I could definitely see how that would apply to, I mean, every training session. That's great. Yeah, so using that 
I think um, I want to talk now about, I don't know if you've ever used the RIP trainer before. So the RIP trainer is uh, one of like TRX's, I think, uh, branded tools, but they have other versions of it where it's essentially a, a straight bar. And at the end of that bar, it has a like a elastic band that connects to things. So you can move in different directions with it. And I find that great to use with my clients because like we just talked about, um, you can move in all different directions and you can create the push and the pull and all those other motions, but it has that unbalanced where the energy is coming from one side. Yeah, I like those. Um, I think that's one thing that doesn't get programmed often enough, especially in rehabilitation clients with bad hips, bad knees, um, weak trunks, weak is rotor resistance. You know, the rip trainer is very good. Like you said, I mean, it's on a bar too. So the further you get away from the bungee attachment, the heavier it gets. But if you have somebody just starting out, they can grab right beside the bungee attachment to where they're just going to get a little bit of that resistance. And obviously you can walk, you know, closer to the pole or further away from the pole to add resistance on the band. But just really building that rotational strength and rotational stability in the hips is extremely important, especially for anybody with a desk job or, somebody who travels often to where they're constantly in a seated position. That's one of the big things that gets um, atrophied is the glute med, your spinal erectors, your psoas, the deep muscles of the core and rotational pulls are one of the best ways to rebuild that. So what about cardio equipment outside of maybe Jacob's ladder? I don't know any ones that are like that, unconventional do you use anything that's unconventional in the cardio world so i'm not a big fan of cardio but i am a huge fan of conditioning you know and a lot of people use them interchangeably but basically to me cardiovascular fitness is being able to run a 5k without getting tired you know being able to go long distance low heart rate for conditioning much like hit training you want to get your heart rate to spike hold it for a little bit and then recover and then spike it again so for me, you know, the kettlebell is excellent conditioning tool. You know, I've got one workout that uh, I run my clients through maybe once every couple of months just to test them and see how their conditioning is going. I call it death of a hero. So basically you get a heavy kettlebell that you can swing for 20 reps. As soon as you knock out 20 reps, you're going right into the hero pose. So think about shins flat on the floor, seated down on your ankles. Okay, so you're in a seated position, shins down, basically bowed down. You take five deep breaths. You, everything is just based off of your breath, stand up 20 more swings. And we just keep that going for as long as they can. And I mean, that's a 10 minute workout that will just destroy your lungs and destroy your heart rate. So I absolutely love that. And, you know, with anything much like the mace bell, you know, you can do the uh, canoe paddle to lunge to where you're hitting a full body exercise, but it's light resistance. So you can spike it, drop it down, um, Basically anything, even the barbell, you know, if you've ever done a set of 20 back squats, your heart rate's through the roof and you can't breathe. You know, it just depends on how you lift. So like you were talking about changing the tempo, changing the lift speed, all of those things can be worked into conditioning. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. There's, um, there's a lot of different ways in which you can get your heart rate up and, and work conditioning. It doesn't need to be uh, in one plane of motion, stepping up and down on a stepper or a, an elliptical. And, and, you know, obviously there are clients who don't feel comfortable. Otherwise I shouldn't call them clients, just general people in the public who might not have the, you know, the finances or the time to work with a trainer like yourself or myself. And that's what they tend to do. But I think us as trainers, it's important that we teach our clients or people in our classes. There are other ways to do this and it's probably best for your body to move 
in in all directions. And I know that that's probably how you train too. I, I want to speak a little bit to you mentioned, you know, mixed martial arts training. Are there tools that you believe uh, unconventional tools that are that are good uh, that people can use in the weight room as mixed martial artists to help them in their practice? Yeah, so I try to get my guys to mix it up as much as possible. You know, obviously, we're pretty heavy on the kettlebell training. Um, a lot of just dynamic stretches are great for that. A lot of, uh, you know, like using your body weight as the tool. So you've got like the frog hops and your bear crawls, shrimp wall or uh, shrimp crawls and just a lot of things to get your body to learn how to move together. You know, everybody sees bear crawl and they think it's just, you know, a lot of people cuss it like they cuss burpees. You know, but the big thing about the bear crawl, much like a burpee, is all four limbs learn to work in unison. You know, you're keeping yourself balanced. You're keeping your hips low. All of your joints are bent. All of your joints are under tension. And you're just crawling. So your right hand has to know what your left foot is doing. Your trunk has to stabilize. Your lungs have to keep everything fired up and moving. So it's a great full body exercise. But you also learn, learn proprioception. You learn how to balance, say you're bear crawling and you automatically want to go to the right. You know, your body has to know not only how to change gears or change sides, but all four limbs have to do that same change at the same time. So that's one of the big things that you'll see with a lot of new, you know, like you said, general population. If you ask them to come in and show you a Turkish getup, you can explain it down to the finest detail you possibly can. You can demonstrate it for them 20 times. As soon as they do it, they're not going to do anything correct. Their body doesn't know how to work as five individual individual units moving in unison, you know, between your trunk and your four limbs. Their body just doesn't understand how this works. So that's one of the big things that you have to get them to learn is the proprioception and the balance from limb to limb. And I think that info expands into all sports, not just mixed martial arts. So, you know, whether you're playing football or baseball or basketball, um, golf, even, you know, you're not just moving in a sagittal and frontal plane, you're moving in all planes and your weight distribution is off because you're never doing the same exact swing, even in baseball, dependent upon the speed of the pitch, your swing is going to be different. So I think it's important to work with your clients in all ranges of motion and have these unconventional pieces of equipment to challenge them, to get them used to your athletes specifically, but really everyone to get them used to what they're going to be encountering and not just say, okay, we're going to, we're going to work in, you know, deadlifts and squats. Great. You know, I understand you want to train for muscles, but you also have to train for movement. You know, obviously in your athletes, you want them to be very mobile and you want them to be able to have excellent reaction speed, have excellent power and endurance throughout the entire sport of it. But think about your daily living activities for the average client. You know what I mean? Like what kind of, you know, emergency situations could you get into to where, um, <clears throat> to where that could mean the difference between having a good day and having a bad day. You know, I don't want to go on the terms of life and death, but that's why I always tell my clients as far as like, I'm not a big runner. I have done some mountain runs in the past. And one of the big things I tell them is I continuously run because I think if you have a good solid 5k time, you can find yourself out of a lot of problems. You know, if you run at gas on the side of the road, you can cover three miles and get to the gas station, get a gas can, run back, you're good to go. If you have trouble running a mile, then it's going to take a large chunk out of your day. You know, if you get into any type of bad situation whatsoever, if you can put three miles between you and that bad situation, you're probably going to be fairly safe. You know, so it's kind of looking at not only the martial arts side of it, not only the athlete side, 
but just the normal daily life side. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, uh, I had that problem fairly recently. Actually, I, um, I locked my keys in my car and I locked my phone in my car and no one was around. I showed up, I showed up basically to hit golf balls early in the morning and no one was there yet. I got there an hour early. So I was the only car in the parking lot. I had no idea what to do because in 2021 without a phone, you go, well, what the, what the heck do I do? Uh, I live two and a half miles from the golf course, but I just, I booked it home. You know, I probably ran an eight, eight and a half minute mile and, and got there in a, a decent amount of time. And, and I didn't waste my day. Right. How not, not that we need to be training for things just like that, but it, like you said, it is a great, uh, you know, secondary thing to be able to know that if you're in a bad situation, if you can strike or wrestle or run, these things could potentially help you out. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, let's put you back in the same situation. But this time, uh, your favorite drink is Mountain Dew. You usually eat pizza for lunch and you smoke a pack a day. Your entire day is gone. Like you said, you got home in under 20 minutes and back probably under 20 minutes. So that took an hour out of your day. But if you had to walk that entire distance because you got out of breath every half mile or every quarter of a mile, then that's literally half of your day, if not more than that, just to get that one simple task done. Yeah, that's a great way to to look at that to look at that scenario. And again, like we said, yeah, is this going to happen to you on an everyday basis? No, but you know that this that's that is just a secondary benefit of all the other benefits that comes with being in good shape. Um, so I want to I want to stay on this a little bit more. So. Um, let's stick with the martial arts. I'm, I'm a big TRX user. I love, I love the TRX cause you get to use your full body and there's not, there's not an exercise you can't do with it. Like I just named before pull, push, hinge, lunge, squat, plank, whatever you want to do. Um, you could ever hit every muscle group. I feel like for a martial artist, the suspension training would be great because the grips are fairly big and everything except the pushing movements revolve around you gripping. And I know that grip strength is important. Do you use that? And do you use anything else for grip strength? Yeah. yeah the TRX is great. I love how, uh, you know, if you get the uh, tactical and you get that like rubber handle, yep. that's excellent. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't break down. But what I really like are the, honestly like the cheaper ones with that foam handle because your fingers really sink into it. And it feels like it attacks your grip a lot harder. Huh. So I definitely use those, um, especially for the single hand exercises to where you can just grip down and you're focusing everything on one hand. But I mean, if you do a set of, you know, if you take a TRX row and you walk in deep enough and you do a set of 25 of them man, your grip is smoked, your forearms are going to feel the pump with your back. But now I really like that. I use that a lot in uh, not only the athletic performance side of it, but the rehabilitation side too. Because if I've got somebody, you know, older um, client or anything like that that comes in, that's a great way to balance them as well. So we can work on fixing squat depth. We can work on, you know, single foot squats with some of my athletes. That way you just get a little bit of an adjustment whenever you're using your hands. You're not worried about holding on to a static pole. The TRX straps kind of move up and down with you as you go. But yeah, I mean, I use those daily. We've probably got 20 of those. Yeah. And to add to that for anyone who doesn't quite get what you were saying, but that was perfect is that, you know, using your upper body to help assist your lower body allows you to get to a point in which you don't need your upper body anymore. That's potentially the end goal, right? So at first you do a squat and you're holding on nice and tight and you're using maybe let's just throw random percentages out there, 60, 40 upper body to lower body before you know it, it's 50, 50, and then it's 40, 60, the other way. And then before you know it, you have 
decent squat form where you're not holding the handles at all. And I think, you know, having, having that ability to, to use that, not just for athletes, but like you said, in a rehabilitary sense is very important because, uh, that's, that's another part of the conversation, but that's where the money is guys. If you want to, if you, if you're a trainer out there and you're struggling, guess what? The people who have money are older. They've had more time to acquire that money. They, they have retirement accounts. They're probably not paying for kids anymore. The fifties and sixties and 70 year old, uh, adults have the money. So you have to know how to train them. And, you know, it leads into a whole different conversation as the division between health and fitness in this industry. But the big thing about it is a lot of my clients come to me from um, probably 40 and older. Like you said, you know, I mean, they're definitely going to be the population that has the money to pay for a trainer. But at the same time, those are the ones who are finally like, look, I've been given terrible health information my entire life. You know, the younger people, it's they're it's much easier access to get to health information because we have Google, you know, back then they relied on the food pyramid and the U S regulation of what this is healthy or what is not healthy. And with the older population, they've been brought up on fried foods and soft drinks and everything that the money marketers can throw it or the food marketers can throw at them. So with them, it's about giving them their life back. You know, most of them have went from working a very active job in their teen and early twenties to working into an office, you know, back then, I say back then, which was probably like seventies to nineties era was when a lot of jobs started moving from being static or excuse me, from being uh, on the feet and moving around a lot to being static and being seated. So those are the ones you're going to see that need the low back strengthening that need to loosen up the hip flexors, need to loosen up the hamstrings. So I mean, I feel like that is kind of the generation to where you can give the most back in your community as well. You know, with me, one of the things that I did um, early on in my career is I would schedule a session with a massage therapist. And while we were there, I would get into like an anatomical discussion with them, kind of show them what I know. And that built referral programs for me. And then I'd go to a chiropractor. Same thing. Kind of talk to them about how the muscles line up, how to keep everything in good alignment, how to push for a good movement pattern that I could help out their clients as well. And that built referral programs. So like a lot of my work, even though I'm kind of known for the kettlebells and the jujitsu training, a lot of my paycheck comes from my rehabilitation clients. Yeah. And that's a, um, I want to, you've made a lot of great points there and I want to talk about the last point and then go backwards, but having these people to refer out, I tell young trainers all the time is very important. We are not specialists in everything. And if you pretend you are, they're going to sniff you out, right? People are intuitive. They're going to sniff out your BS and you're not helping your clients. So when a client comes to you and has a major issue that you don't know, you can say, Hey, listen, I have a, an orthopedic doctor. I think that you can see, I know him personally, here's his card and information, or I have a massage therapist that can help work out your lower trap issue better than I can. Why don't you go see this person? So it's important to build relationships in the industry. And then leading to the first point you said, you know, these older clients who come in, you know, it is important that we help them. And it's also important that we make it fun and creative. All of the things that you talked about earlier, right? Using the mace, moving around, using the kettlebell. All you have to do is lighten those versions and make them a little bit easier, right? They, that You can use all of those pieces of equipment we mentioned and all of those exercises with those older populations. Yeah. And that's one thing that I tell a lot of the new trainers that come in here, or the potential trainers that come in here. It's awesome to know how to use an exercise and modify up, but you also need, need to know how to modify down as well. 
you know, a lot of new trainers come in. I remember too, back when I was a young buck, I was like, oh man, I'm going to tear these people up. Nobody's going to be walking out of here after leg day. Working with an average client, they have a job to get to tomorrow. You know, they can't let their entire life revolve around training. So there's sometimes in here with a normal client, even my athletes, you know, we'll get into a heavy training session. I'm like, okay, we need to back this off a little bit. You know, a lot of my athletes, I'm lucky to say a lot of my athletes, I have to pull back rather than push forward. You know, mentally, they're ready to run through a brick wall. But is that going to help them progress or is that just going to make them hurt for the next couple of days and then drop our progress back by a week or so? You know, so you kind of have to learn the balancing act between that. Okay, well, they don't have a job to go to tomorrow, but how's their recovery? Are they really eating what they're supposed to be eating? Or do you know that they have trouble with, you know, dairy and inflammatory foods and they like to drink a six pack on the weekend? You know, how's the recovery going to match up to the training load that you're putting them through? Yeah. And you know, to speak to what you started that with, uh, it's much easier to train a professional athlete than it is, let's say, a 77 year old woman with COPD and a bilateral hip replacement and tendonitis and all these other issues, right? So you can't do anything wrong for a professional athlete because they're freaks of nature, but you can do a lot wrong for a lady who has you know, fake hips. So it's important to have a wide range of clientele, especially when you're starting out in the industry. So like, just like you said, you can modify down and you can have the easiest of exercises and then understand that you know, modifying up is, you know, th that'll come. You can YouTube that, but modifying down, you need actual experience with clients on site. Yes, definitely. So tell me about maybe a piece of uh, equipment we have not discussed yet that is unconventional. So two of them that I use on a weekly basis would be sandbags. You know, I'm a fan of the loose sags. Usually we have eight or 10 handles on various sides of it. And the steel clubs, which are basically just smaller versions of the mace. So a steel club kind of looks like a metal bowling ball pin. But, you know, obviously with the weight, it's going to have different dimensions. So with those, the sandbag is great because it does kind of lead into the everyday life. You know, you're picking up something odd shaped. It's not going to be balanced. The handles are going to be wonky on it, but you can still use it for a lot of stuff. And with the steel clubs, again, just like the mace, it was, you know, it's hundreds of years old. You know, they used to use it for the old wrestlers for shoulder mobility and shoulder strengthening to build up the grip, to learn to swing something through a uh, unnatural space. So those are two that I really like. There's a lot of, I mean, every now and then one of the new fad tools will come out and I think it's kind of gimmicky, but it does serve a purpose. And then you get other ones, you know, like the shake weight and ab roller and all those things that are kind of just gimmicky you know it's 30 bucks on amazon play with it for a month and then never touch it again you know totally uh, and those were two great ones I, i'll uh, I'll, I'll try to match your two great ones here um there's something i use called the step 360 which i would describe as a bosu light so okay. it is it is unstable so it's good for like your senior clients but it's not bosu unstable uh, on, and, and it doesn't flip over like a BOSU does. It's, it's almost like if, I don't know, like trampoline-esque unstable. So, okay. so it gives your clients who maybe are not ready for the BOSU yet or don't have to hold on to something using the BOSU. And then the other one is not purchasable by normal trainers, unfortunately. It's called a kinesis wall. And basically okay. what a kinesis wall is, the best way I can describe it is 
you know, when you go to a cable machine and you can move the, the system all the way up to the top so you can pull down and you can move it to the middle, you can move a cable machine to the bottom so you can do upward things, right? Like a bilateral cable system. Yeah. This kinesis wall already has all of that in place. So nothing has to be moved. And the, the wires, so to speak, are together. So you have wires that run up top so I can grab the handles and do like lat exercises and pulling. You have wires that run long ways and they move in a 360 fashion. So I can press oh, wow. out, but I could also stand sideways and rotate. And then you have wires that run on the bottom where I can pick it up and do squats or I can do biceps and do different things with them. And obviously, like we talked about before, it's not about the machine. It's about the creativeness of the trainer and using the body. But I love that you can stay on that kinesis wall and do every exercise imaginable. Wow. That's pretty interesting. I've never heard of that one. The problem is I believe it costs nine grand and that's why most people haven't heard of it. I, I would never buy it, but I, I've worked on one at a gym. So. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's definitely not for the uh, small personal training studios. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're, if you're between the kinesis wall and a, a steel mace, I suggest you as a trainer, go with the steel mace and work your way up to the kinesis wall. Yeah. Yeah. I would say definitely. Awesome. I have a squat rack that has the peg holes in it. You know, you buy two of the pegs and you get a pack of bands. You know, I mean, you could probably replicate that for much, much cheaper. And like I said, I don't know the definite ins and outs of it. I'm sure it's a very uh, useful device as well. But man, whenever I'm traveling, like me and my wife go on vacation, I take two kettlebells and a bag full of bands with me. It's the perfect traveling kit. As long as they have a balcony or a steel rail anywhere, you can get a very good workout in with just bands themselves. Yeah, I, uh, I'm exactly the same way. And I, with my clients, I will give them a band sometimes if they don't have it. And I'll write them out a small workout. You know, everything you can do with a band, pull, press, you can rotate, you can squat. You can lunge, you could do all these different things. You can combine those movements, right? You can obviously change resistance using different bands and they're very easy to hook up. I, I prefer, they're a little bit more expensive. Uh, I believe the proper terminology is a celastic band where it's not rubber. It's almost, I, it's, I'm, I'm hard pressed to explain this, but it's almost like a can, it's like a, a malleable canvas that's on top of the band. So they don't break and you don't have to worry about them snapping back. Again, they're a little bit more expensive than, your rubber bands, but they're, they're safer and they give you, uh, they give you poundage resistance, just like your other bands. I've gotten them off Amazon, like a 25, a 35 and a 45 pound in a pack for like 25, 30 bucks. So, well, I, uh, I thank you for your time, man. I think the audience, you know, getting to understand that using different equipment, but still using your body as the basis for why you're doing this and the different ways in which you can use it is really going to, you know, be helped by this situation. Let everybody know where they can potentially find more information about you and any information you have that you want to give them. I got you. So uh, my name is Daniel Friedel. Um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Um, if you hop on Amazon, I've got two books up there currently. Um, I'm working on my third, which is going to be a little bit different. But the first book is on the kettlebell training system. I kind of created my own system around that. And the second is resistance training for grapplers. It's called uh, Phoenix Pit. Phoenix Jiu-Jitsu is um, here in Hickory. And, yeah, just check that out, danielfriedel.com. That'll give you links to 
everything I have and all that. And one thing about before the podcast that we forgot to cover was as far as like the mace bell certifications and kettlebell certifications, you know, there's a ton of great ones out there. I'm not saying anything bad about them, but my big thing is a piece of paper doesn't tell you what you know. It doesn't show your clients what you know. So if you want to do a certification, it's perfectly fine. One thing that I would do is invest in the tools, whether it's kettlebell, steel mace, sandbag, whatever, and just play with it. Do some skill building sessions, block off an hour, of time a couple of days a week and just spend that time going over YouTube videos, playing with it, try to get a feel for the movements, not only a feel to where you can do it yourself, but a feel to where you can easily explain it to anybody, you know? So like we were talking about um, before, as well as like getting people to understand how to move within their daily activities, the hip hinge is the hardest thing I have found to teach anybody teaching somebody a proper hip hinge without them rounding their back or without them bending their knees to a full extension in a squat or a full flexion into a squat is very difficult. So you may have to learn some new nomenclatures or a couple little real life examples to teach those. So kind of get that stuff down. But if you want to go through the certification program, there are a lot of them out there on it has one, um, especially for steel mace. I think on it's one of the only ones that has that certification. And then add one more piece to that information. And that is if you can find a personal trainer who you trust, like Daniel, like myself, and they have experience with said tool, reach out to them, ask them questions. Yes. See if you, if they're local, right? If you're in, in Daniel's local North Carolina area, go to him. I'm, I promise you, he, he dedicated his life as a personal trainer to help people. He's not going to care if you shadow him. He doesn't want to hold information from you. He wants to give you information. Go shadow good personal trainers who understand what they're doing and it's only going to benefit you. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even if you're a current personal trainer, you know, we've got a small stable of personal trainers here in this area. Some of them are better with, uh, you know, nutrition than others. So we'll just kind of shoot each other a message. Hey, you know, I mean, don't think of it as a feast or famine mentality. You know, if you've got other personal trainers in your area, I guarantee you the two of you or the four of you cannot take on everybody in your community if you decide to get them healthy. So if you get your community excited about health and fitness, everybody will be on the feast side of that. So, you know, if you're constantly butting heads, nobody wants to get into that. If you are friendly, you're like, hey, you know, I would probably be a good fit for you, but you know who would be really great? You know, so-and-so right over here. I think that would be a fantastic fit for you. You know, I mean, kind of share the wealth, push it around a little bit, make good connections with people. So like you were talking about, you know, we've got one uh, personal trainer around here that's very good on Olympic lifts. I've went to him before so I could tighten up, you know, my uh, barbell snatch or my barbell cleaning press. I'll probably never really have any of my clients do it, but it was for my own personal knowledge. That's exactly. I can, I couldn't echo your statements more, whether it's for yourself personally or whether it's to help your clients reach out to other people in the industry and make sure you start to learn that you know we, we, we can't possibly know it all. We are generalists, we try to have a niche, but it's always good to not only send people out because I promise you, however woo-woo this sounds, it'll come back tenfold to you, all of those connections and those networking. So uh, Daniel, thanks again for your time and uh, hopefully we'll speak soon. Remember to check out our social media sites, which are all listed at TrulyFitApp. There, you can find the polls to questions concerning potential upcoming topics for our podcast and leave your information or a colleague's and friend's information who you would think 
best fit for discussion of that topic. Thanks again.